Hello and welcome to Ofsted Talks. Today we're going to be talking about prison education. Now, Chris, you and I have had a number of meetings over the last few weeks on this topic and it's really concerning, isn't it? Hi, Anna. Yeah, we've spoken to a few people about this. We've spoken to uh, Ofsted's very own Deputy Director of Further Education and Skills, Paul Joyce. I've spoken to Francesca Cooney, who is Head of Policy at the Prisoners Education Trust. And we've spoken to Sheena Maberly, who is a policy lead at dealing with prison education in Her Majesty's Prison and Probation Service. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. You know, it's been a really fascinating few discussions, but what we've heard hasn't been great, has it? Let's be honest. No, Anna Ofsted, we've been concerned about prison education for a number of years, long before the pandemic. Um, prison education simply gets the worst inspection results of any area of education we inspect. It's something we've been talking about for a while. And COVID just seems to have come and landed on that and made things much worse by the looks of it. Yeah, exactly. We introduced the education inspection framework into prisons in February 2020, so just before the pandemic, and we've done some inspections since, and the findings are really concerning. Now, before we get into the meat of those interviews, I thought it would be useful to listen to a bit of Paul Joyce, our Deputy Director of Further Education and Skills, and he'll be talking through a little bit of what, we've, what we do on a prison inspection, and then our place in the system and what we've found. Obviously, we play our part in inspecting them. Um, how, how do we go about that? Just for the listeners out there, what, what exactly do we do? Um, well, really, we, we look at prison education in much the same way as we do in the rest of the work uh, we do at Ofsted. So we will be using a, a, an inspection framework very similar to we, that we use in, uh, in schools and colleges to look at how well prison education is delivered, the quality of the curriculum, the quality of the, the teaching, the implementation um, and impact that education has on prisoners' lives. So it's, it's much the same Anna, as the inspection activity we carry out elsewhere. Okay, that's really helpful. Um, what's, what are we tending to find at the moment when we're going out and inspecting? Uh, well, there lies the start of the problem, really. Um, it's not a pretty picture um, in terms mm. of what we are finding. Uh, and sadly, Anna, this, is, um, this has been the case for a long period of time. Uh, and clearly, uh, COVID and, and the, the current circumstances um, have, have not helped. But by and large, it's, uh, it, it's a, a pretty bleak picture. Mm -hmm. We find that education isn't sufficiently prioritised in the prison regime mm -hmm. and often not doing what it should be doing for the prisoners that are in custody. So just a quick summary, he went on to talk about some of the key issues. So there's really poor management of the quality in education skills and work and there's slow progress with improving the provision since previous inspections. Only a third of prisons inspected since September 2019 deliver an appropriate curriculum to meet the needs of their prisoners. In many cases, the number of activity spaces available in education, skills and work isn't sufficient for the number of prisoners or the spaces are poorly allocated and used. And then lastly, prisoners with a range of additional learning needs, which 
we know is high in prisons, receive insufficient support and the range of education skills and work activities that vulnerable prisoners can access is, is really poor. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. I had such a fascinating discussion with Francesca Cooney from the Prisoners Education Trust. And what came through really strongly for me was the mixed track record that prisons have and just what a struggle it can be to get people to engage with education as they're serving their sentences. Yeah, I can imagine it must be quite, it's a, you know, it's a really important first step getting people to engage, but that might be quite hard. Um, so let's have a listen to Francesca. Prisoners presumably enter prison with a mixed track record in terms of education. Is that fair to say? Uh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I mean, many prisoners have not engaged in education very much at all. Um, we know, you know, at least half of people coming into prison are assessed as not having what we would consider to be functional literacy. Um, we don't have up to date figures around this, but we think maybe four out of 10 have been excluded or suspended from, from school. And many, many people in prison have really negative prior experiences of, of schooling and certainly of conventional schooling. And I would also want to point out that at least a third of prisoners have additional learning needs or have some kind of neurodiverse condition. And what that means is people learn differently, people concentrate differently, people need different kinds of support. So many people are coming into prison with additional needs, not having had their additional needs met in the community and then struggling once they get into prison as well. At, at, at times with, with what we're thinking about at Ofsted, a big strand of our work is around uh, reading and particularly early reading and making sure that absolutely you know, every child that possibly can is is taught to to read kind of comprehensively and and can read fluently um, as early in their school life as as possible because we know that difficulties with reading means difficulties with accessing the rest of the curriculum means that children can fall behind their peers and can lead to frustration um, can can sometimes lead to being diagnosed with special educational needs um, and and that can spill over into behavioural difficulties as well lead to exclusions and and ultimately as as you've said could you know for some unfortunate um children as they become adults could could lead to to imprisonment is that is that focus on reading something that you think would be beneficial i think it would be beneficial but what i would say is it would be fantastic if prison education could be taught in in quite a different way i mean it's shocking that so many people come into prison not being able to read and write but it's actually inspiring that a lot of people do learn to read and write once once they are in prison and some of the things that i think would help would be if if class lengths were shorter at the moment people can sometimes be put into classes that last two and a half or three hours that's not brilliant for people with poor concentration i don't think most people in the community would want a, a three hour class um, we should look at embedding functional skills more in, in di into different subjects so that if you're doing bricklaying you're also learning numeracy you're also learning literacy People really respond to practical skills, vocational skills, and they respond to functional skills more where they can see how they can use them on a day-to-day -day basis. 
And I also think that prisons don't make enough use of peer mentors. So what I'm talking about there is other prisoners. So there are schemes where prisoners teach other prisoners to read and they are really successful. That's in a one to one situation. And that one to one situation can really help people who are not comfortable in class, who do not want the embarrassment or of being being sort of exposed around around their poor educational history and one-to-one -one work really really supports people and can, has been shown to be really effective. So what you and Francesca just discussed there on the difficulties in reading and how important that is to allowing learners access to education I just think is so important. Um, I really liked ideas, uh, Francesca's idea on peer-to-peer -peer mentoring. I know it's quite hard to do and do well but she um, talked about it really really helpfully. Yeah, and embedding key functional skills as well just seems really, really important. Uh, Francesca and I discussed what courses the Prisoners Education Trust offers, uh, what's popular with prisoners and how taking part in those courses can actually help reduce reoffending. It was really interesting, so let's have a listen. Um, now, Prisoners Education Trust, as you said, puts on or provides funding for, for courses for, for prisoners. What are some of the most kind of popular or in-demand courses that you provide? Okay, well, we, we supply over 120 different courses, so there's quite a wide variety. And we always say that we provide courses in all, all different, lots of different subjects from bookkeeping to beekeeping. But our most popular courses, I find it really interesting, our most popular courses are ones which will potentially lead to employment and to a career. So courses in um, health, fitness, nutrition, things like um, becoming becoming um, a gym instructor, courses in uh, sort of mental health and counselling and supporting people with substance abuse. A lot of people who've had those kind of difficulties want to use their experiences to help other people. Um, business, accountancy, those are very popular courses as well. So generally, I find it really interesting that people seem to have a very clear idea about what they want to do in the future, and they really want to do courses that will benefit benefit them on release. That, that's really interesting. So that suggests, doesn't it, that do, completing these courses could have an impact on whether prisoners reoffend or not. Is that something that you find? Absolutely. There's very clear evidence that successful education has a has an impact on reoffending rates. And that's something that the Ministry of Justice accepts and they know from their own research as well. But despite this, we find that education isn't always prioritised in prisons. And I have to say that it's not true that all officers or people working in prisons necessarily understand the impact that education can have to transform lives. So that message hasn't really necessarily got across to everybody working on prison wings. And that means people may not be as supportive of facilitating access to education as they could be. Um, it's not necessarily seen as a part of the prison's mission to reduce reoffending in the way that it should be. So it's what you're describing and is a really is a real missed opportunity. It, it, it's, it sounds like you know, from the, the impact of of the education that good education can have in prisons on in prisons on, on employment, um, on, on reoffending rates, on, on life, life in the outside world for the system and many prisons to to not be grasping this opportunity feels like a, a real waste. 
It's a massive waste and it's a massive waste of potential. Um, some people get the skills and the qualifications they need in prison and they take advantage of every opportunity offered. But I would say they are the exception, not the norm. And we've got some recent data that shows that only 4% of women leaving prison were in a job six weeks later. And only 10% of men leaving prison had found employment six weeks later. So that shows us that people are not leaving prison with the skills and qualifications and training and education they need to be able to find employment. And as you say, it's a massive missed opportunity. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. Unsurprisingly there, Francesca spoke so eloquently about the importance of prison education. Um, Now let's have a little think about some of the challenges. Yep, I spoke to Francesca about that as well. Let's hear what she has to say. What what kind of education should prisoners be experiencing? Kind of how much of it should they be getting? You know, sh- who who should be delivering it? That kind of thing. Okay, well that sounds like about five questions in one. So I'll tr- <laughs> I'll try and I'll try and answer them. So I think one of the main challenges in delivering prison education is is how prison prison staff, prison officers, and the prison regime, and how prison education providers work together. At the moment, it can be quite fragmented and hard to coordinate. Prisons are incredibly complicated organisations to run. And there's lots of challenges around, um, for instance, activity spaces. You know, prisons are overcrowded. That means there isn't the infrastructure to deal with the amount of people that are in them. So there's not enough space in workshops or in classrooms, not enough activity spaces. So, for instance, Brixton, which is a prison in South London, it was built for 400 men and 800 men are living there. And if you can imagine, that means double double the quantity that they actually have capacity for. So prisons struggle to find activity spaces for their for their populations, um, particularly busy prisons. And then on top of that, they don't always allocate the spaces that they have effectively. It can be really challenging for prisoners to actually access education because for most for most prisoners, they need to be unlocked by an officer and escorted from their wing down to the education department. If there's not enough officers on duty, and in many prisons there are shortages of officers, that means people can't actually reach the education department in the first place. They're locked in their cells. They're not able to access education. And a lot of Ofsted reports talk about the difficulties with just managing the practicalities of accessing education in the first place. So obviously they do talk about the quality of what's delivered, but they do talk a lot about how difficult it is for people to get into into education and the problems around attendance, allocation and activity spaces. That's really interesting. So there are some, you've highlighted some systemic issues, I guess, there, um, you know, overpopulation in, in prisons being being an obvious one. But are, are, there, are there prisons that do this well uh, or more well than others that we can perhaps learn from? There are, absolutely. And I think one of one of the things that we can see is, is where where prison prison staff and prison education providers are working closely together, where there's more coordination, it can be more effective. And sometimes it really helps if the governor is 
actively and visibly supportive of education. Prisons can be quite uh, hierarchical places, I would say. And what that means is the governor can set the culture or the tone of an establishment. If a governor makes it really clear that education should be more of a priority in the prison, that can help with education delivery. And we see a complete variety of how uh, education is provided and how effective it is in some of the smaller prisons in some of the open prisons we see really effective education and we see we see these prisons working with their local further education college with local universities with different employers and other organizations in the community and i think that's really positive to see to see that kind of networking um, and that work going on in the community it's good to know that it can be it can be achieved So for me, what came out of that chat is that it's all about the attitude of the prison and how the prison works that really makes a difference in delivering education. Yeah, that's right. And as Francesca said, prisons are often large and really complicated places and education is just one part of what they have to do. But it's it's so vital to improving the life chances of those who, who end up in prison. So it's really important that it's given the priority it deserves. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. Now, we're going to come on and talk about COVID in more detail in a minute. But first of all, we're going to have a bit of conversation about digital technology, uh, which has obviously become more prominent during COVID uh, and has done uh, in schools and colleges and other providers, but increasingly in prisons as well. When I was talking to Francesca, she told me about how hard it is for prisoners to access technology. Uh, and even before the pandemic struck, it was limiting prisoner education. I imagine that one of the big challenges in delivering prison education is the fact that you don't presumably have any digital technology involved. Absolutely. So prisoners are massively disadvantaged because they don't have access to internet. Um, They don't have any technology in their cells. And the only way they can access computers is if they can get to the education department which or the library, which depends on officers being able to escort them across. So, you know, we we are really concerned that prisoners are losing out on many opportunities that would help them to progress their education, resettle successfully. And we believe that limited, restricted access to the internet is essential to develop prison education and provide opportunities for people and online courses. And we think it can be provided safely and securely in cells. It can be monitored, it can be supervised. And prison prison learners deserve the chance to develop essential digital skills. Many of people don't have that coming into prison and they deserve the chance to access courses that will help them spend time productively while they're in prison and then increase their chances of studying or training or getting a job when they're back in the community. So what are the barriers to achieving that? Is that about the the priority given to education in, in prisons and kind of having a, a can-do attitude or are there kind of wider rules about access to technology that stand in the way? Well, I think I think for a long time, the barrier was concern about, about risk and security. I mean, obviously there are risks working in prisons. And um, I think during lockdown, what, what has been shown is that actually those risks can be, can be managed and certainly restricted internet can be, can be provided safely and securely. But I think really now the challenge is is funding. 
and um, getting the uh, Ministry of Justice and the Treasury to commit to enough resource to put into to put into the infrastructure of, of changing prisons so that they can be uh, cabled and have the install technology that, that is needed. So it is about making the arguments that actually this will benefit society in the long run. It would be an economic thing to do in the long run. And it would save money in terms of reducing reoffending, and it would save money in terms of supporting prisoners to maximise their potential. But it's um, it's still it's still something that is difficult to to argue for in some ways. Yes, I can see I can see why, and funding is always the big issue as ever, isn't it? I guess this is a tricky one, isn't it? There's quite a bit of a tension here about how we provide access to digital devices to allow for learning but in a way that's safe for prisoners and the public. It is, and I had a really interesting chat with Sheena from Her Majesty's Prison and Probation Service about this. She talked about a small-scale project that was rolling out secure laptops to allow prisoners to learn in their cells. And can I ask about um, access to digital devices as well? Because obviously outside of prisons, that was a big aspect of how education was dealt with through the pandemic, but obviously there are limits to what you can do with digital devices in in prisons. Is, is that has have have some prisons been able to use digital devices in in innovative innovative ways? Yes, and I think that you know just to to start slightly further back, um, there are good reasons why we don't allow um, blanket access to in-cell technology, mainly around protecting the public. Of course, um, it's just not appropriate. But what we have been able to do um, is start, and I would emphasise the word start, trialling the delivery of some educational content through the provision of secure laptops. So that is very small scale at the moment. It is not widespread across the estate at all, but the learning from that would then inform both the rollout um, in that limited way, but also wider rollout in the future. And it's something that in terms of our longer term strategy would be a high priority so that prisoners have that opportunity to undertake learning. And that could be learning of any kind in Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. OK, Chris, so we talked through some really vital topics here. We've got a measure of you know, prison education in the round. But we need to talk about COVID-19, right? It's the elephant in the room about our conversation of prison education. So what do we know about it and what impact has it had? Yeah, of course, this is the this is the big thing of the moment. And I had a really interesting conversation with Francesca about what education actually looked like in prisons during COVID-19. So let's have a listen. Tell us a bit about how the pandemic has affected education in prisons. Okay, well, the pandemic has affected every area of our lives in the community, but even more so, I would say, in prisons. So in March last year, prisons went into lockdown. And what that meant was that prisoners were kept in their cells for 23 and a half hours a day. Most prisoners were kept in their cells for that length of time. And we know that's extremely psychologically damaging for that to happen over a long period of time. And prison teachers, prison tutors, were not able to go into prisons anymore because they were not seen as key workers. So there were no classes. And actually for quite a while, there was no education at all um, for a few months because there were no systems set up to provide education for 
from prisoner learners. So in the community, we saw that universities and colleges moved their courses online and everything could be developed virtually. And maybe in some ways uh, that wasn't ideal for everybody. People could still progress and, and, and carry on with their education. But, but for prisoner learners, the situation was completely different. And it's also important to remember that there's no digital technology in, in prisoner cells. So people didn't have access to internet while, while they were while they were locked up dur during lockdown. So um, at the end of last year, uh, prison prison education staff could go back into go back into prisons, but they hadn't been able to offer classes um, up till the, the last few months where things have opened up. So they can they can offer some classes now, but they're socially distanced, they're, they're smaller numbers, they're restricted. There's lots of rules around them. It's not the same as it was prior prior to, to lockdown. Um, so lots of the education that has been delivered over the last nine months has really been paper-based learning in cell packs, materials that have been produced by prison education departments and handed out for prisoners to complete in their cells and then hand back for marking. There's a bit of um, phone tutorial support going on now um, and there is uh, some other kind of forms of support, but it's been so different for prisoners compared to what people have been able to access in the community. And what that means for many prisoners is they haven't had the opportunities to get the qualifications they need. They've had to stop their courses right in the middle of them and they haven't been able to make the progress that will help them when they come out and are released and try to resettle in the community. That was really interesting. Like so much of what Francesca said chimes in with the conversation I had with Paul about what we've been finding when we've gone in. There have been obviously the delays in any form of education getting into prisoners in that first lockdown. And Paul really highlighted how the packs Francesca described are often not tailored to the needs of individual prisoners, meaning that, you know, sometimes, although there's some stuff there, they're of limited value. That's right. And in my conversation with Sheena, she was able to talk about some of the learning that Her Majesty's Prison and Probation Service have been able to take from the pandemic. You mentioned some of the, the learnings that the prison service can take from, from the last uh, year and a half. To expand a bit on on what you think those are. Yes, I think there's two main things here. So one is the concept of blended learning, which if you were studying at a college in the community would probably be a phrase that you would be very familiar with. But it's been difficult for us in prisons. So one of the things that we're looking at is how we can maintain perhaps some of the learning from blended learning. So even although some prisoners will be able to access education away from residential wings, um, the fact that some of it could still take place on wing in cell, therefore outside the core hours during which you would normally expect to access education. So you've just got that increased flexibility. That's something that we're looking at very closely, again, with our provider colleagues. It's very much a partnership approach. I think the other thing is about prisoners who are perhaps more hard to reach. Um, and there can be many reasons for that. But we know that some people perhaps don't want to engage in classroom-based learning. Perhaps they didn't have positive experiences of that um, in prior educational experiences. It could be about their own personal safety. So there are reasons why prisoners perhaps would not necessarily choose to do that. So again, it's something that we want to be able to continue. And there could be a place for 
continuing to provide packs, even as a first step, because prisoners who engage well with the packs may then decide that they do they would be happy to engage later on. But even if they don't, we're still able to offer something. So it's about that you know, levels of participation and it's about reaching people. We want prison education to be inclusive, clearly from the perspective of protected characteristics, but also inclusive in the broader sense, so that irrespective of who you are, what your the nature of your offence is, how distant your release date might be, you've got the opportunity to engage in something and then progress on from that, depending on what's right for you. And we know, um, we know, don't we, that ed- education is is most effective when um, whoever is on the receiving end, prisoner, child, college student, uh, is is able to talk to a teacher face to face, is able to get that kind of, uh, instant feedback, is able to act, act on on feedback, and is able to have those interactions with uh, with a teacher. So I, I assume we're not uh, anticipating kind of beyond another pandemic. We're not anticipating a situation where. Um, prisoners are just not able to to get out of their cells in order to access that kind of education. No, absolutely not. Again, it's very much back to blended learning and provided it's safe to do so, then we would want that participation and that face-to-face experience to resume. Um, The value of developmental feedback is immense and of course it isn't um, restricted to education, it's about careers guidance, it's about accessing library services and speaking to a librarian, speaking to a careers advisor about what you might want to do in the future, perhaps with little or no work background at all or in a position where you do have a work background but for various reasons you can't go back to that after release. So the quality of conversations and the quality of the specific advice from all professionals who work in the education space in the prison sector is absolutely invaluable. And and I think it's just worth highlighting that, you know, I represent the adult world. So people are beyond the age of compulsory education. And I think that's particularly important in that case because people don't have to engage. So therefore, we want them to want to engage but for some people, they will start from a position that's further back from others. So once they get that quality interaction, which we know goes on in prisons, I've had the absolute pleasure of witnessing that in so many occasions where people were reluctant to engage. But once they go and they have that quality experience, perhaps realising that the support they need for um dyslexia or some other neurodivergent condition, it's there, it's it's given positively and it's given discreetly, but that's just so important. So yes, absolutely, we want to be in a position where that resumes. But I think, you know, to go back to our earlier conversation, it's about building back better. Because actually, we don't just want to go back where we were, even although there were some very, very good aspects um, to that, we want to get to a different position that's better and includes more of our prisoners more of the time. That's great to hear um, because you know I think we we at Ofsted are, um, have been concerned about education in prisons for for a long time. It's just by far the the weakest performing of of everything that we inspect in terms of uh, quality of education provided. Uh, but also, it just strikes me that it's such a huge opportunity um, within that to to raise to raise the standard of education and. And, and therefore to have some of the impacts you've been talking about, whether that's rehabilitation or moving into work or, or just re-engaging in, in, in education for its own you know, intrinsic 
worth, uh, which I think is is important as well. You know, we've, we know that lots of prisoners will not have had a great time at school by any means. Um, in fact, you know, it's, it's probably some of the worst school experiences. Um, and yeah, that will have flowed through into their adult lives, and and you know, potentially even you know some of the, causing some of the the problems that, that landed them in prison in the first place. Ofsted talks. Ofsted talks. Ofsted talks. Which takes us on very nicely to talking more generally about what improvements need to be made in prison education, irrespective of the fact that we've been through a pandemic. Ashina talked about that too. Do you think education is appropriately prioritised in prisons? There's a lot of stuff going on in prisons, clearly, a lot of things for people to juggle and managers to to, to, to manage. Um, does, does education get the priority it needs? I think that there is room for development here. Again, I think there is the caveat that all prisons are, are different. And clearly, it is a specialist role in a prison to decide what the priority for any one individual is at the right time. That's someone who knows the individual prisoner and knows what their range of needs are, because, of course, education needs don't um, exist in a vacuum. But some of our plans, for example, include um, having a better data system, an integrated data system, because if we're in a position where we have an integrated data system, that would help prisons know what priorities individual prisoners have at a particular time and therefore hopefully make it easier for those needs to be prioritised. But we recognise that of course there are a range of priorities in prisons and certainly um, some of the work that we'll be doing around accountability and metrics um, should make some of the prioritisation issues and decisions easier and clearer at establishment level. I would add that we're doing all this work in partnership with stakeholders, and of course that includes um, our stakeholders who currently work in prisons, but also some of our long-standing supporters of education, um, so Prisoners Education Trust, Prisoners Learning Alliance, and of course speaking to prisoners themselves. So yes, a lot to be done, but starting from a place where there is already good practice, even although some of that good practice has been suspended, wholly or partially during the pandemic. Well, I think it's particularly interesting, the idea of keeping blended learning to make education more, you know, better available to those prisoners who are traditionally harder to reach. Yeah, I think prisons are having the same conversation that schools and colleges are having, as in what are the best bits of online learning we can keep uh, while still understanding and getting all the advantages of traditional teacher-led face-to-face learning. Yeah, and I think this is probably a good point to bring Paul back in. So we talked about what Ofsted can do to help prisons improve and then he gave the whole system a call to action, as you can well imagine from someone so passionate about this topic. If we think about our role in in this, obviously we are there to inspect prisons. How do we help them improve? Can we help them improve? What do we do? Well, Anna, I I think we we do have a a vital role. I'm I'm very pleased that we are uh, undertaking some additional activity and some additional research Mm -hmm. um, because this this is such an important area of our work. I I mean, our job is to inspect and report. Uh, We obviously do that. And 
I have uh, I continually comment in both our annual report and indeed in the prison inspectorate's annual report mm. about the quality of uh, of education and what needs to be done. Mm. Uh, and actually, Anna, it, it again is time for me to to call for action mm. and to say that you know thing, things really do need to improve. COVID has made a situation that that wasn't ideal much, mm -hmm. much worse. And education can play such an important role in rehabilitation and in reducing reoffending rates. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we need to help HMPPS, we need to help individual prisons and education providers um, to do what they can to improve. So our reports, our thematic reviews, our recommendations really do highlight why education provision isn't working as well. Uh, and my call to action really is for, for those leaders and managers to, to take heed of those recommendations and to improve things and improve things quickly. Thank you. That's that's really powerful stuff. I think our, you know, the ideal is that obviously safety is paramount for prisoners and, and staff working in the, in those prisons but for education to be the first thing to go is is tough um now we mentioned the prison review education um obviously we you know we'll see that coming up and um i understand that you're starting with research into reading into prisons which will hopefully bring some really helpful messages to the fore is there anything else you wanted to say about that one um well the the work we do during routine inspection is is obviously vital and and, mm. and that looks at the quality of what's being delivered and the curriculum that's on offer but Anna, as, as you rightly say it's it's so important um reading literacy you know writing numeracy these are essential skills and we do find that you know in a typical prison population there's a lot of demand um, for literacy, numeracy, education activity. Sadly, often we don't find enough of that activity going on mm. or where we do, we find the quality isn't, isn't good enough. So we're hoping through this review to pinpoint what is working um, well so good practice can be shared, but also to really shine a spotlight and say that this is what's needed and uh, you know th this is what needs to be done to improve uh, re reading literacy seems a really good starting point Ofsted talks. Ofsted talks Ofsted talks I want to echo Paul's call to action for the sector uh, and and the the startling need to improve prison education quickly yeah, I definitely agree. Um, can you just touch on the prison review that we're doing because I think listeners out there will be keen to hear a bit more. Yeah, of course. So the review will look at uh, various issues in prison education over the next year or so, uh, but it will start with some research visits to prisons over the autumn term to look in particular at uh, reading. We'll be looking at how prisons uh, assess uh, prisoners' reading ability when they arrive, uh, how they do that throughout their time in prison. Uh, and how the whole prison education system works together to improve prisoners' reading and what this means in terms of prisoners' educational progress and well-being. 
we know from our work in education more broadly that reading is just such a huge uh, part of education being able to read fluently and well opens up the rest of uh, the educational world opens up the rest of the curriculum opens up opportunities and uh, not being able to read uh, as well as as well as people can and should uh, is a real barrier to both their education but also work uh, and other aspects of their life thank you chris as someone who used to be a english teacher i could not agree more i promise not to mention that every podcast by the way um <laughs> but thank you i think it'll be a really timely piece of research and I, i'm really looking forward to seeing what the findings will be ofsted talks ofsted talks ofsted talks okay so we're nearly about at the end of our um, episode for today one question that we've had from our listeners do schools and colleges have to produce any sort of curriculum map Oh, well, that's an easy one, Anna. The answer is a resounding <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, the inspection handbooks that we've produced are really clear that um, curriculum planning doesn't have to be done in any format. Uh, inspectors won't ask for particular documents. Um, inspectors just want to know how leaders design an ambitious and well-sequenced curriculum, how that prepares children well for the next stage of their education. And providers will be asked you know, what they want the children to learn uh, and how they know they've learnt it and what they do when they haven't. And it's as simple as that. There's no kind of curriculum map required, uh, no specific documents. It's all about the conversation with the senior leaders and the subject leaders. All right, that's really helpful. So that does bring to a close this episode of Ofsted Talks about prison education. Thanks so much for listening. and I'm sure there'll be another one soon.